A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Disappointment for 30,000 as AstraZeneca use is temporarily suspended. Will this further delay our exit from lockdown? Younger students return to school today, but when will it be the ter- turn of third-level students? We're joined in studio by Simon Harris, Minister for Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science. Later, how are GPs dealing with the fallout from the vaccine supply issues and what more can be done to secure supply? Plus, as Neffet warns against risky St. Patrick's Day drinking, should alcohol sales be curbed? Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. We're joined now by Simon Harris, Minister for Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science. Minister, thank you for joining us. We're going to start with the vaccine issue and the story of the day around AstraZeneca and safety fears. And we know that action was taken suddenly over the weekend on foot of concerns raised by Norwegian health authorities about uh, clotting in four vaccine recipients. But given that the the WHO has said there's no evidence any health incidents were caused by the jab, the EMA says while we investigate this, keep taking the jab. And AstraZeneca has said of its 17 million doses that have already been administered, they have no data to suggest any evidence linked to clotting. Is this not an overreaction on our part? No, I don't think it is, but it is a case of absolutely putting public health and putting confidence in the vaccine programme uh, first. So I think this is going to be a brief pause. Um, I certainly hope so. We know that the EMA and uh, the European Medicines Agency is meeting tomorrow. We know it hopes to conclude its deliberations this Thursday. I heard uh, Professor Karina Butler, the head of our National Immunisation Committee, uh, say that she would hope this issue would be resolved this week. But it is really important that policymakers and politicians listen to our medical experts and they ask that this programme be paused. And very interestingly, since they took that action over the weekend, a number of other countries uh, have followed suit. I think Germany, France, Italy, the Netherlands, uh, quite a few. So it is it is better to be cautious. You're entirely right, and I really appreciate the chance to say it. There is no established link here between clotting incidences and the vaccine. This is a vaccine that's proving very effective. But it's so important that we keep confidence in the vaccine programme. I think when any issue arises, you pause, you get the best expert view, and then you hopefully resume. Do you think this does instill confidence, though? Because people may say, people who may already have fears about getting the vaccine may say, look at these clotting issues now and now we've put the whole plan on hold temporarily. Does this inspire confidence in the vaccine? So two things. Firstly, we haven't put the whole plan on hold because I think we were the HSE chief executive says they were planning on vaccinating between 75 and 85,000 people this week. About 30,000 people would have gotten the AstraZeneca vaccine. So there'll be many people this week who will be vaccinated with the other vaccines. And remember, we weren't using AstraZeneca uh, for people um, for people in the older age categories. The second thing, though, is I think it does inspire confidence that when our medics have any concern at all, 
they say pause, check it out, engage with international experts and then resume. So I personally, as a citizen, have much more confidence in a vaccine programme that takes a very, very cautious approach. You've mentioned it there, Minister, 30,000 people, two thirds of whom are very high risk, yes. were waiting to get the vaccine this week, got the call today to say it's on hold now, it's been deferred. You could argue that the state is putting lives at risk by cancelling a vaccine for people when, against risks that we don't know exist in relation to clotting. And we know that COVID is a major factor in clotting. In terms of balancing out the risk, have we taken that right step? So what we've done is what we've done since day one in this pandemic, we've listened to our medical experts and they've asked us to take a brief pause um, to allow all of the facts be gathered in relation to this incident. I think that's the prudent thing to do. Um, I, you're right, though. I mean, for 30,000 people to get a phone call today for a long awaited vaccine to hear that that date has now been deferred um, is a setback. There's, there's no doubt about that. But I think it's a brief one. I expect it to be a brief one. And uh, we, we will continue with the programme with the other vaccines in the meantime. Remember also, I suppose, a bit of good news on the vaccine front. There was a fourth vaccine, uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine approved by the mm. EMA last week. So every, every, every couple of weeks we're seeing improvements in the vaccine mm. programme, we're seeing an increase in supply and we're seeing more vaccines come on stream. What knock-on effect are we likely to see from this? Because it will lead to a delay. Being very honest, I think if it's a knock-on, if it's a period of a week or so, very little, uh, because the HSE will simply slot those people back into, into vaccines again. We know there's a capacity in the system um, to do even more vaccines than are already being administered. Remember, we're planning on ramping up to providing about a million vaccines a month uh, mm. from April. So the system has the capacity to vaccinate more people. Supply has been the constraint. Supp and supply, I want to get on to the sure. supply issue, Minister. Um, we know that Micheál Martin was due to meet with the chief executive of AstraZeneca. He did so. What was the outcome of that meeting? So I haven't had an opportunity to talk to the Taoiseach uh, yet in relation to this, but I know he's... Because this was a priority issue. It is a priority. We were, we were talking about it last week. We said the meeting would take place on foot at that meeting. We would have a, a better idea of how the supply would go because that supply is so important to our vaccine rollout. It's vital and I think it was really important that the Taoiseach had an opportunity to relay the message to AstraZeneca very clearly that the most important thing are accurate figures. Don't pretend or tell us something's going to happen if it actually doesn't happen. We need, we need to know what is going to happen in relation to vaccine supply. And he relayed, relayed that message. It is important to say this because a, a lot of talk about AstraZeneca and understandably so. My understanding is about for every five vaccines we are likely to receive in April, May and June, four of them will not be AstraZeneca. So there's a lot of discussion about AstraZeneca, understandably, because that's where mm -hmm. the supply issues have been. But we also have a vaccine programme built on the Moderna vaccine, built on the Pfizer vaccine, and now from next month built on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is a single dose vaccine. So we are going to see in this country, and, and the Taoiseach was honest about this, a slow supply in January and February beginning to ramp up as we come into the spring and the summer and we are going to see that ramp up. Yeah, we were promised 100,000 doses a week by now. That's not happening. No, and in fairness, and look, I was health minister for four and a half years. I know the people in the HSE very well. I know they're working 24-7 on this pandemic now for over a year. But I also know they can't be held responsible uh, for global supply issues in relation to vaccines. They give the information in good faith to government. We give it to you and the public in good faith as well. But what we do, I, I think we're going to move into a period, I genuinely believe this now, where as the number of vaccines increase and the amount increases, I think we'll move on from the supply issues uh, as we move into the and summer you, months. You mentioned global supply issues, but we know the UK don't have a problem with supply issues. We know the US doesn't have a problem with supply issues. We know other countries in Europe are getting what they need from AstraZeneca. 
Yeah, so can you see the frustration there that we're not and oh. you haven't even been communicated we, we, we don't know can, how, how the meeting went with AstraZeneca in I, order to secure more supply I can not, I can not only see the frustration uh, Claire I live it as does everybody in this country who wants to get back to some degree of a normal life and some of the things that we're all desperately missing a year on from the pandemic there are lessons for the European Union in relation to procurement and vaccine strategies and all of that, but I think that's a post-pandemic matter. What we have to do right now, every single day, is concentrate on getting arms and jabs. And in fairness to our health service, they're turning them around really mm. quickly. So they're actually getting most vaccines into people's arms within three days of receiving the vaccine. That's a much better yeah. rate. And we are something that's very, very rarely commented in Ireland. We are ahead of the European average in terms of vaccines administered in our country. You've mentioned vaccine targets. Is it a good idea to be giving targets now? Because we've had promises from the Minister for Health about September that all the adult population will be vaccinated 82% by June and, and, the, and the country in September. And then we see the supply issues and the delays. Is there any point in making these promises? Last week I said government kind of finds itself between a rock and a hard place in that and I didn't mean that for, from a poor government point of view. But you're, you're desperately trying to communicate honestly with the public about what the weeks and months ahead look like. And if you didn't come on and give out information, you'd be accused of concealing it. So what you're trying to do is relate to the public honestly the information as you know it. Mm. But it is important that we caveat it. It is, it is about supply. However, we are still are on track. We are still are on track to have um, those targets hit in June and September. We're still in a position where we expect the overwhelming majority of our adult population to have received their first vaccine by the end of June. Okay. I want to move on to another matter now, Minister, and it's something you're very familiar with, given your previous portfolio. Um, and we know that Gardaí have upgraded their investigation of the leaking of a confidential contract by the then Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, um, when he was Taoiseach, from a preliminary probe to a formal inquiry. What's your take on that? So I think the first thing I have to say, and you won't be surprised that I say it, I think it would not be helpful for anybody, particularly those of us in public office, to provide a running commentary on an ongoing Garda investigation. The Garda have a job to do. They've received a complaint. They need to investigate. This is a, this is a to, criminal investigation. They need, they need to be allowed to carry out that investigation without any interference or any commentary from politicians like myself. So the Garda have a job to do. The Garda do their job in this country very well. But I think we also have to recognise the importance of due process. Um, there's a lot of people who rush to judgment. Uh, the right place for these issues to be examined is through the Garda investigation. Uh, and let's see uh, the outcome of that. You mentioned due process there. Some would say, and the argument has been made, that the Thornstead should step aside while this due process is taking place. Well, I think that wouldn't be due process. I mean, everybody is intending the investigation and the outcome of that investigation. So that's that's. Could this be an appropriate move? No, I don't believe so. I mean, government has a huge body of work to do. We've just been discussing some of it. Um, we need to obviously get through the COVID pandemic, reopen our country. The Tonish is fully engaged in all of those issues and indeed has been led our country through the first mm -hmm. phase of the pandemic and now playing a leadership role in government again. Everybody's entitled to due process. You don't give up that right to due process uh, when you run for elected office. There is an investigation under way. The Tonish is eager to cooperate with that, to answer any questions the Gardaí have, and that's the right and proper thing to do. Isn't it an unhelpful distraction? No, it's not distracting from the work of government. Is uh, the it work not? Of, it's the making the headlines today. The it was discussed uh, over the weekend. The opposition have picked up Nick Sinn Féin, say resign or be sacked. Sure. And look, and look, the opposition have, have, a have a job to do, and I'm sure you know people expect me to come out here and score political points. I'm not interested in doing that. The opposition have a job to do. They do their thing. We have a job to do in terms of running the country. We're focused on that. A lot of good work going on, a lot of important work going on this week in terms of promoting Ireland virtually this St. Patrick's Day uh, ar around the globe as well. Tonish is very involved in that. There has 
has to be due process. If there's an investigation in place, no politician, government or opposition should cut across that. Um, and I don't intend to, to comment on it further because I don't think it would be helpful. Uh, also this week, it's a huge week of celebration generally. You'd be forgiven for not knowing it was happening, but yeah. St. Patrick's Day is taking place on Wednesday. Yes. Um, we heard tonight from the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Ronan Glynn, forget the cans, forget mm. the takeaway pints, no gatherings of any kind. What's in place to curb those gatherings? Because it's the day after tomorrow that it's happening. So the first thing to say about this is we've always policed this pandemic through the public uh, buying into the importance of the public health restrictions. And that doesn't change, despite the fact we're jaded and weary as a people because we've been at this for a year. We have seen the people in this country respond in overwhelming numbers to following the public health advice. And I suppose what Dr. Glynn is doing tonight is reminding people of that fact. Mm -hmm. It's not that he's particularly concerned. It's more that he's reminding people that just because the vaccines are now being rolled out, just because we're in a better position with COVID now than we were a few weeks ago, doesn't mean there's any room to let the guard down. So that's the first thing. Obviously, the guard will continue uh, to play the role that they do um, in relation to policing. And the Guardi and the Guardi Commissioner has whatever resources he, he believes is necessary uh, to provide any checks, operations or patrols. Mm. And we've seen a number uh, we've seen a number of very proactive guard operations in terms of fines and the likes uh, for the minority, and they are a small minority, of people who decide not to abide by the public health rules. Uh, are you concerned, Minister, given the scenes that we saw in Limerick um, and, and, and you were forced to comment on it because, of course, many of them were students yeah. um, and we know how difficult it is for students at the moment, but isn't it likely, given scenes like that that we've seen, that they are going to be replicated right across the country on Wednesday? No. Um, because what we saw in Limerick was... We've already heard anecdotally sure. about people, you know, going out and getting cans and prepping. And we know that sure. pubs, for example, are selling takeaway pints. And I'm sure some of the people who decide to breach public health guidelines won't be students. But as I just want to answer the piece about students, because I, I am the Minister for, for Higher Education, we saw... We saw just over 100 people gather at a so-called street party in Limerick. There are 16,500 students registered in the University of Limerick. It is a tiny, tiny fraction uh, of students. The overwhelming majority of students in this country have suffered, have sacrificed, and if anything, I'm worried about their, their fragility and their mental well-being after the year that they've yeah. been through. And I, I, just, I just I do want to say that because I've seen huge support uh, from, and huge leadership from students' unions. And in fact, the people who I spoke to the day after the incident in Limerick who were most annoyed were other students. Just to get back to St. Patrick's Day, though, and it is the day after tomorrow, and people may think, well, what actually is in place? Because there's talk about street parties and the whole issue around the legal loophole that is the takeaway points, that hasn't been changed. Michal Martin said back in January, you know, forget about the takeaway points, but he didn't do anything about it. Well, I think we've certainly seen a ver very significant reduction in people selling takeaway points. Um, I noticed this even within my own, uh, my own, my own constituency. Um, I think we've seen a very serious crackdown in relation to that. But what I am telling you very clearly is that the Gardaí will be carrying out specific operations for St. Patrick's Day because it is a day traditionally uh, where people engage more in social activity. But I'm also saying that we need everybody in this country at this stage of the pandemic to really, really pull together just because it's St. Patrick's Day or indeed any other occasion, it can't be a normal one. I want to go back briefly to the students and what you were saying. It's been so difficult on their mental health. For the students who started college last year, they haven't even been into a class to meet yeah. friends, to make friends, to have any... Their whole college experience has been virtual. 
but there's no date for them to go back on campus. Correct, because as Mike Ryan says of the WHO, the virus doesn't care about dates, we have to follow data. So it's data, not dates. It's been but given dates about other issues sure. and, and you were keen to give targets about vaccine yeah. rollout. And we know 350,000 uh, students are back in the classroom now. So, so can, may, I, may I tell you, because I, sure. I don't want what I just said to be taken as we don't have a plan for the resumption we do and we have a published plan. So I expect the new academic year, and I really want to say this to students and I really want to say this to their parents. I expect the new academic year to involve an awful lot more on-site activity uh, than we've seen this academic year. Why do I say that? Well, for a number of reasons. One, we have huge safety measures that have been put in place in colleges right across the country. Secondly, we know in relation to the vaccine rollout programme that we're going to have seen a very significant number of people vaccinated in our country by that stage. So I think the risk profile of COVID is going to change dramatically uh, in the coming weeks and months. We are meeting intensively on this matter. I indeed meet every Friday morning with student leaders, the USI, with college leaders, university presidents and others to discuss the reopening. Our universities today are open for practical subjects, they're open for labs, for vulnerable learners, but you are right, the overwhelming majority is taking place online and that is because the public health advice is, they are different to schools, you make the comparison yeah. with schools, but schools have several hundred people. Well, University of Limerick, we were talking sure. about a minute ago, 16 and a half thousand people, so it's a serious movement of people that we have to be very, very conscious of, but I believe the new academic year is going to be much brighter in terms of The new of academic year, yes. so we're ruling it out for the rest of this year essentially. We're being honest with people, yeah, I mean I don't, I don't see, and there's no point in me saying anything else to students, I don't see a very significant increase in on-site activity for the rest of the academic year. Remember, the college academic year doesn't have that long to run. Many students would end the college academic year in May. The one group, though, that I really would like to see, if, the, if it's at all possible, and this is in the hands of the virus, is I would like to see first-year students invited in, even in very small numbers, to see their campus, to see that this is the college that I am connected with and there is life after COVID because the college life they're experiencing today is not going to be their college experience for the next number of years. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of talk about safety and women's safety against the backdrop of the murder of young woman Sarah Everard. That's triggered a huge response among women, all women, young women who've vented their frustration, their anger, their worry and their fear about their own safety if they're heading on a night out, even in broad daylight. Mm -hmm. And it brings to the forefront what's happening on our campuses. Yes. Do you feel they are a safe place for women to attend? We know the issue of sexual harassment exists. We know you've ordered a report into the matter, but we still know that more than 50% of cases aren't reported because yeah. women are in fear. I'm not happy about this at all. Um, I don't feel enough has been done. And that's why the very first letter that I wrote to university presidents, presidents wasn't the traditional issues administered right to university presidents about. The very first letter I wrote uh, was instructing every university and every institute of technology in our country to put in place a specific action plan for what they're going to do. Not a national plan, what you are going to do in your college to make sure that you tackle sexual harassment, uh, sexual violence and bullying. All of those plans are in the process of being submitted. They're almost all in. Um, and I intend later this month to be able to provide public updates on this. There needs to be a zero tolerance approach. Um, are you worried my, about what's there at I, the I'm or I'm, not there? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I am being honest. I'm worried. And again, I don't, I don't say this to, to scare people or to generalise, but, but I am. I mean, how could I not be when I met Dr. Evie Nihulon? I mean, and how she was treated. How could I not be concerned? How could we not be concerned? Uh, when I've met students and staff in universities, female and male, um, who have reported uh, a culture um, that, 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 that should concern us. So, I mean, my message to 
I said, I said before to any kind of dinosaurs out there who think that this sort of behaviour is acceptable it's not and we're going to stamp it out and how are we going to do that we're going to do it by resources yes and there was a very useful report published today on that but it's not just resources it has to be cultural you know sexual harassment and dealing with it isn't the job of somebody sitting over there in an office it's the job of everybody mm. uh, in the campus so long answer short the publishment of the, the publishing of the action plans the annual reporting of progress against those action plans by the Higher Education Authority. I want to beef up the role of the Higher Education Authority. From my engagement with, with victims and others, you, you can't actually tackle this problem unless you start measuring it, unless you shine a light on it. So publishing of the action plans later this month, a key, st a key first step, implementation of that and monitoring of that by the Higher Education Authority and other. I also think we need to look at the composition of governing authorities. Um, I appointed, for example, Nolene Blackwell, the former head of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, or sorry, the head of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre to the UCD Governing Authority to send out a message that the people in the governing authorities also need to really prioritise these issues. On the wider campaigning matter, we saw the Reclaim the Streets protest taking place in Britain and there are events planned here tomorrow in cities right across the country. Are you in favour of women coming out protesting protesting, venting that frustration, venting those fears? So I'm, I really understand why people want to protest and why people want to vent those concerns because I think the Sarah Everett case has, has just really horrified and concerned people and brought a whole, a whole range of very serious issues to the fore again. I also have to be conscious of the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic um, and what we don't want to do is obviously for any protest, no matter whether I agree with the cause or not, is see a situation where COVID, COVID spreads or we're in breach of the guidelines. So understand the anger fully, um, but I can't pick and choose which protests I, you know, I'm happy to see proceed. The COVID rules obviously do need to apply to all of us at this moment in time. Okay, there we'll have to leave it. Minister Simon Harris, thank you for joining us thank tonight. So uh, my thanks to the Minister and after the break, not listening to the science, say those critical of the AstraZeneca suspension. And how are GPs dealing with the fallout from vaccine supply issues? Stay with us. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. We're joined now by Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley and Sinn Féin TD David Cullinan. And joining us via Skype are Professor Bill Tormey, chemical pathologist at Beaumont Hospital, and Dr Alona Duffy, GP. We'll start with you, Bill. Um, you've expressed your frustration over the suspension of AstraZeneca. Why? I think it's hugely incompetent and illiterate. I've just listened to the minister uh, giving us little lectures about um, uh, precautionary principles. And if you want to talk about precautionary principles on four people who get clotted 
and get clot, clotting disease in Norway, you've got to look at the facts. And the facts are that in the general population, one person to 1.4 persons per thousand per year get a clot without any other disease being obvious. The bottom line here is that we have suspended AstraZeneca and Minister Harris has just said that they constitute 20% vaccine. is 20% of the vaccines that we intend to use here. If you, if you do the calculations, Claire, you will, find, you will note that there's about 500 new cases reported per day here. That's 3,500 a week. Johns Hopkins University quotes 2% mortality rate in Ireland for COVID. Assuming that that's true, it means that every week we delay, we're subjecting the whole population to 70 deaths per week if no vaccines go out. If the COVID, if the AstraZeneca only is not going out, that's 14 deaths per week. And it's also 140 post-COVID syndromes, long COVID syndromes per week while we're messing about with this. I want to tell you that 14 deaths is usually considered higher than four deaths in Norway. Mm. So I think that there's a rampant absurdity about all of this. Precautionary principle. This is not public health. This okay. is public death we're looking at here. What should we be doing? We should just absolutely follow the EMA and the um, WHO, both of whom say this is okay. And if it turns out that there is a problem, then we monitor the problem. But keep in mind that people who get COVID and don't go into hospital, one in 200 of them have clotting diseases. And if they get into hospital, it's one in five get okay. clots. So okay. it's a really serious problem if right. you don't vaccinate. It's uh, massive. The own goal of not vaccinating with the AstraZeneca is screaming at you if you look at the outcomes in the UK, uh, in, in, Great, in Britain and in Northern Ireland. They have been transformative. OK, I want to get reaction to that. Uh, Timmy Dooley, what do you make of that? It, it's an overreaction that the benefit of getting the COVID vaccine far outweighs the risk of four clotting incidents that have not been proved to be linked to COVID-19's vaccine. You know, and I accept what Dr. Bill says, and I'm not in a position to challenge him uh, medically because I'm not trained in that profession. But if you look uh, across Europe, Germany, France, the Netherlands, Denmark, Italy and Spain have taken a, a similar approach. And I think whilst, you know, he, he, he talks about the science of it, you also have to bring the people with you. Uh, and if we were in so studio... Uh, no, but, but, but it's not about the optics, actually. It's about keeping the people with you in this. And I think if we had taken a different approach, we'd probably be in studio tonight discussing, uh, you know, now was there going to be confidence uh, in the vaccine? And I think to take the pause, if you want, in the rollout of this particular uh, vaccine, the AstraZeneca one, for a number of days until there is the greatest level of assurance possible mm. so that you keep the public's confidence in it. Because if we were to drift on for a number of days, uh, I think people would rightly get deeply concerned if they saw other countries uh, that had paused the rollout of the vaccine. So I think to protect okay. the integrity of the vaccine programme, it was necessary to do so, considering that other countries okay. had reacted in the way that they I had. I want to bring uh, Dr. Lona Duffy in. What's been the reaction among your patients? What have they been saying to you today when they've been calling the surgery? Well, I think there's huge concern with regards to you know, this latest data and people wondering, number one, 
will they be able to be vaccinated as planned? And number two, um, worrying about the AstraZeneca and if it's a safe vaccine. So we've been fielding a lot of calls. Um, interestingly, quite a number of calls from healthcare workers who've received one of their AstraZeneca vaccines and are wondering now whether they'll receive another and whether they should receive another. So is this something, do you think the, the manner in which this was relayed, the decision to pause the vaccine at this point when the EMA have yet to report back, was a good thing? Well, I think we've got to remember none of these decisions are political decisions. They're made by people based on evidence and data that we probably don't get to see at any stage. So we have to trust in them. Ireland is, is one of the later countries to make this decision, but two more countries have decided this evening to withdraw it in a temporary capacity too. I think we're lucky in that the UK are ploughing ahead with the using of the vaccine and we will be able to benefit from all the data that comes from them. And as we're well aware, I think over 11 million vaccines of AstraZeneca have been delivered in the UK. So hopefully we're going to be able to gather that data. And I'm hopeful that we will see that this is a safe vaccine to restart our vaccine programme within the communities again. So what did you say to patients today? Have you rescheduled them for next week? We are expecting um, a response from the EMA sometime this week week? Well, the vaccines that have been used in general practice are not AstraZeneca. We're vaccinating those over 70 and we're using the um, Pfizer and Moderna. We're having ongoing difficulties with the supply of those. So the vaccine rollout that had started in the community at the moment was for those at risk. So um, that was happening through the hospital setting and okay. also continued vaccination of frontline workers. Okay, what's your thoughts on it, David Cullinan? Do you think, because we've heard both sides of the argument, we've heard, we've heard some saying, stick to the science on this. We heard from Bill there, we heard from Luke O'Neill earlier today. Stick with the science on this. There are people dying from COVID-19 every day. This vaccine is a lifesaver and now we're stalling it. Well, we have seen so many problems with the rollout of the vaccine that it's hard to know where to start. Obviously, we're seeing problems on the supply side, but we're also seeing problems on the administration side. The decision in relation to AstraZeneca is a matter for the NIAC. And obviously what we so all want might, to see... The, the right decision has been made. Well, I think what we need to see is a decision from the European Medicines Agency in relation to their review of the cases in Norway, which I understand will be completed on Friday. And we all want a speedy resolution because the AstraZeneca vaccine is crucial. It amounts to about 25% of the overall doses that will arrive in quarter two. We have problems on the administration side. So over the last number of weeks, we've seen GPs who have not received their vaccines on time. Uh, I received news of one 85-year-old man that had his uh, vaccine cancelled, his, his appointment cancelled five times over the last number of weeks. We've seen reported cases from lots of GPs right across the state who've had shortages in the supplies on, on their side. And we have a minister, in my view, who has taken a very hands-off approach. I mean, the minister came into the door last week and blamed AstraZeneca for all of the shortfalls and said it's a matter for AstraZeneca and not a matter for the HSE or the department or the minister himself. But that's what he said to me. Okay. At that point, he was not even after picking up the phone and talking to AstraZeneca. And only hours after those doll exchanges did the Taoiseach then pick up the phone and have a conversation with the company itself. And this hands-off approach with the European Commission, this hands-off approach with the uh, companies themselves, and all of the problems we've seen on the, on the administration side is causing huge frustration for people. I want to let Timmy Dooley yeah, respond I, to that. I mean, and yeah. it has been a criticism that's been levelled at yeah, government. There's been a number of criticisms. That efforts and I tried have not been made yeah. to secure more there, supply there for the country. There has been very significant effort made, and the Taoiseach outlined that in 
in, in How recent days. How did the AstraZeneca the, meeting the, go? The, the, do we know? The, the, the issue that, that, that David raises is that somehow the Minister is taking a hands-off approach. Mm. Do he we isn't. know how that I mean, meeting went with AstraZeneca? Yeah, well, my understanding is that the Taoiseach had a direct conversation with yeah. the Chief Executive um, and he pushed very forcibly on the necessity uh, for AstraZeneca to step up to the plate uh, and ensure that they meet the commitments that they have made to the European Union. Uh, and as a country that has a, a really important role in terms of pharmaceuticals, I think it was right that the Taoiseach would go front and centre and put, put forward the necessity for AstraZeneca to meet those commitments. Now, but the point that Do David you know is making, which is undermining... Was from AstraZeneca? Well, obviously, we'll have to wait and see. Right up to now, AstraZeneca, quite frankly, uh, have not adhered to the contractual arrangements that they had entered into with the Commission. And I think it's appropriate that they're called out by somebody of the standing of the okay. Taoiseach. Okay. Okay. Timmy must be... Timmy, Timmy must be one of the... Hang on a second, Timmy. You must be one of the few people... You've had a good run. And you made an accusation against... Hold on. You made an accusation against the Minister for Health that he was taking a hands-off approach. When there were issues, and there were issues in relation to the administration... Uh, around the whole uh, GP rollout programme, and there were a number of issues. There were a number of issues. Now, a helpline was set up to resolve that, and 99% of the people that were supposed to get the vaccine have now gotten it. It probably went about two days over the three-week programme that was in place. So that's a very good result overall. And I know you have to play politics, and you have to throw the the shot across the bow with the minister. The reality is, on this particular one, he has delivered. Timmy there is an be, issue about Timmy, the supply of well, vaccine from we'll AstraZeneca, and everybody knows we'll that. Let, uh, Timmy must be one that. of the few people in this state who believes that Stephen Donnelly has done a good job in terms of the rollout of the vaccine. GPs don't need helplines, they need vaccines and they need the vaccines to come on time and I'm sure it's happened in Timmy's constituency where many people have been left short, many GPs have been left short vaccines. And I've spoken to GPs who have had to contact yeah. and ring elderly people and cancel their uh, appointments and the reason why the Taoiseach went front and centre is because I and others challenged Minister Donnelly on the floor of the door last week, you're blaming AstraZeneca, have you contacted okay. them and he had not. Let's That's textbook hands-off approach. Okay, That's what it is. And Jimmy or Timmy might be one of the few people in this state who actually has confidence okay. in Minister Donnelly's role out of the Let's vaccine. ask a GP about that. Alona, is that an issue that you're having and your colleagues are having? About getting your hands on supply? Yes, getting supplies is, continues to be difficult for many GP practices and even tonight on various WhatsApp groups, the frustration of GPs who are having to cancel clinics cancel patients. Now, we, part of this we were warned. We got an email to say there was going to be a shortage of between 10 and 15 percent in the delivery of um, the Pfizer vaccine to Ireland. But what we're seeing on the ground is actually, you know, reduction, much more reduction than that in the supplies coming. So what's happening is that practices have plans for clinics. They're now having to ring patients and say, actually, you're not going to get this vaccine. And I can tell you, the hardest part of that is when you're asked, well, how come my neighbour got it and I'm not getting it? How come that on, on the radio and on the media, we're hearing that everybody over 80 should have had their vaccine at this stage when my GP is telling me they don't have the vaccine? So I think it's been very difficult. I think the communication has mm. left a lot to be desired. And that's where something we need yeah. to improve. So the public are aware that there are difficulties, that we, the GPs, are aware there are difficulties, and that we have answers, as in knowing when we will get the vaccines to be able to deliver them to our patients. We've had so much criticism about communications around this, and we know that that is key for reassuring. You're talking about reassuring people by stalling a vaccine, that the reassurances come by way of good communication. Would true. you agree there's, that? There's, 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 
there's lacking in this well, area. There's two very distinct aspects to what you say. Reassurance about the rollout of the vaccine. Yes, people recognise that it has been lumpy along the way. A lot of that was down to the deliveries that, that effectively didn't materialise. So whilst certain there's commitments had been made... There's a issue around that as well, isn't there? Like GPs shouldn't be finding out on the morning that they're due to inoculate their patients that they're not going to get the, the supply they is, need. The reality is, clear. as vaccines come in, the vast bulk of what comes in is administered and in the arms of patients within three days of its arrival. Now, if you set yourself that kind of target to get it to get the vaccine into the country as quickly and get it into people's arms so quickly, of course you don't have the time then if it doesn't come, you know, to, to, to flag in advance. But I think the rapid approach that's been taken is the right way to go. You did reference the other point then, which was uh, confidence in the vaccine. I think that's really central, that people believe in uh, the vaccine. Like, this isn't just about administering to animals. People need to get the vaccine. They need to have confidence in it. Uh, and for that reason, it's really, and really some important. some cohorts in some parts of the country are waiting a lot longer. So we have people, say, in Dublin, in their mid-70s, maybe getting the jab this week. But we have other people into their 80s at at-risk groups who are still waiting. Yeah, and if they lose confidence in the quality of the vaccine, then this if people decide... But if people decide about... not to take the vaccine... But I'm answering the point that you raised. If people decide not to take the vaccine, we have a much bigger problem. So that's why I said at the outset it was important to be cautious and be able to give people confidence as well as, you know... The, the, the problem, the problem with Timmy's response is it's always somebody else's fault and it's never the government's fault. Uh, there are no excuses but, for some of what we've seen in relation to the shortage quickly? in supply on the one hand, but also on the administration side. Mm. The government needs to be much more proactive and the Minister for Health needs to make sure that when we see for three weeks in a row shortage time and again for many GPs, that simply isn't acceptable. That is but, under, but, under but, the, okay. the remit of, of the Minister. Now, hang on a second here, Timmy, you had a good run as well. Uh, you can't simply blame everybody else. I want the vaccine rollout to be a success. People are, are abiding by very okay. tough restrictions. People want hope and people want right. a Minister for Health and a government that will before, ensure we have a, we a swift and speedy and safe rollout. We're not getting it from this government. Before we, before we go again, briefly uh, to Bill Tormey, what you've heard there and in general about the vaccine rollout, do you think a good job has been done? I think it's hugely irrelevant to what we're It is clear, it's absolutely irrelevant to what we're talking about tonight, which is the efficacy and the safety of the vaccine and the decision to of the AstraZeneca vaccine and the decision to stall the rollout with the consequences I've already outlined of 14 extra deaths per week and uh, 140 post-COVIDs, given the fact that there are only 37 um, clotting patients uh, in Europe, over 17 million vaccines given out with AstraZeneca, which is tiny. So this is farcical. And for to quote the other European countries okay. who, whose tardiness in relation to the vaccination programme is spectacular, given their death rate, the whole thing is a fiasco, okay. in my okay. opinion, we'll and have, disgrace. We'll have to leave it there. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight to Sinn Féin's David Cullen and Dr Lona Duffy and Professor Bill Tormey. Senator Timmy Dooley is staying with us after the break. Ahead of St Patrick's Day, Neffet's Deputy Chief Medical Officer warns against cans and takeaway pints. But will he be listened to or will there be a surge in on-street drinking? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back. Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley is still with us and we're joined by Liam Doran, former Secretary-General of the INMO and Patricia Callan, Director of Drinks Ireland, is on Skype joining us tonight. Uh, thank you all. I want to go to you, uh, Liam, first. And as former um, head of the INMO, what do you make of the suspension of the AstraZeneca vaccine? I think on balance it was the correct decision. I know other people tonight have said it's farcical and so on. In the context of the speed in which the vaccine was developed, if there's any suggestion that something needs to be investigated for the sake of a short number of days, I think one has to err on the side of caution. So I would support the decision that was taken. Now, the fact that other countries have taken it in recent hours and so on probably solidifies that position. Um, the bigger question, of course, is the confidence. So does it, it, does it amount or will it lead to a, a reduction in the confidence of people to take the AstraZeneca vaccine, which uh, again is you know, the anti-vac group and all those kind of things. I hope not. Think it will? Well, I think I don't and I hope we it won't because people have seen the damage, the havoc, the death, the desperation caused by COVID-19. And I think most people will say that there's a risk with any vaccine of a very minor level. There's a major a major risk with, with the with the, the COVID-19 and so on. So I think hopefully people will stay on and understanding that the vaccine is absolutely the pathway out of this. But in the short term, the need to just delve a bit deeper into what happened in Norway and so on, I think is well worth okay. doing in the interests of solidifying okay. support for vaccinations going forward. I want to return to the lockdown uh, this week. will present a challenge, won't it, to authorities. We have St. Patrick's Day on Wednesday. Traditionally, it's a big day to celebrate um, and celebrate all things Irish and people won't be allowed to do that. What do you think should be done around celebrations on St. Patrick's Day, given the current level five restrictions that are in place, Liam? Well, I'm sorry to be Mr. You know, Un-Nice Guy, but there's a far more important issue than one St. Patrick's Day at the moment in this country. This country is still in the middle of a third wave. The reduction in transmission has stopped. We've now plateaued. So what I would be asking people to treat this St. Patrick's Day is let's look after all the people of Ireland by lying low, staying quiet, enjoying ourselves in a very passive way. But the idea of house parties and celebrations and conjoint alcohol-involved activities and so on is something we just cannot tolerate if we seriously want to get out of this lockdown. And we all do. And we all want to have a new beginning. And we all want to have a summer. We won't have a summer if we keep making excuses for a Paddy's Day comes along or an Easter Monday comes along. So we let our guard down and we, okay. we socialise in a manner And we've which... heard that message and we heard it tonight from Dr Ronan Glynn and he said, leave the cans, leave the takeaway pints. Do you think stronger measures need to be in place to curb alcohol sales? Well, I've been saying that for months in the middle of all of this. The one thing that I can never understand, and the governments have, have, have failed to do this over the last 12 months. I, I'm, again, I'm short and sharp. What is so essential about alcohol in this country that the off licenses, for example, have not lost one hour of trading 
since the pandemic started. But yet other supposedly non-essential services, whether it be hairdressing or whatever, who adopted a very high hygienic approach, social distancing approach, have all been closed. Mm. And I'm not talking about sporting activities and so on, but there is no justification. Alcohol sales and alcohol consumption are not consistent with social okay. distancing. I want to bring Patricia Callan in there. Uh, you heard there what Liam Doran had to say, Patricia. It's not essential. And you represent the drinks industry, but it's not essential in the middle of a pandemic to have alcohol sales the way we have them in this country. Well, shadow of doubt has been the experience of the economy and the hospitality sector. And we supply into that sector being brewers and cideries and spirits producers. And over the last year, the revenue figures show that 6.6% uh, of a reduction has happened in per capita consumption because the entire on-trade has been closed. And I think it's very reasonable that people are looking for an outlet in order to sell their product. Um, it has moved to the off-license. People are trying to have a semblance of life in their households, celebrating, virtually having drinks with friends, etc., and I think that that's natural. But again, I would be aligned with Liam in the context of the message around St. Patrick's Day. We don't want any breaches of public health restrictions. We don't want congregations. And we want people to remain in their households and make sure we get the numbers down so that when we can reopen hospitality venues, that then we have a sustained reopening because the open shut thing has been devastating for both the finances, but also the mental well-being of, of hundreds of thousands of business owners and their employees right around the country. But we know that house parties are taking place right around the country as well. And we know that people are availing of the off licenses to get that alcohol for those parties and the outdoor street gatherings um, that, that we have seen. Is there an argument to be made for curbing those sales to reduce the house parties, to reduce the impacts and the problems and the spread of COVID? Well, I think the most important thing is enforcement. So we need to ensure that the rules that we have in place are enforced by the Gardaí and that people uh, really know that they will be called to task if they breach the rules. We have seen that people essentially move to illegal, illicit alcohol with the rise of she beans, etc. if you're overly restrictive. And certainly I think, you know, it's socialising is the issue. It's not necessarily about alcohol at all. A lot of the spread has been uh, amongst people who aren't drinking at all. So I think it's, it's a big issue in terms of getting the message across that it is difficult, but we need to still restrict our movements. And if we are having a drink, to do so, uh, again, virtually, with the people only in our house, and uh, that we have to stick with this okay. until uh, we're through this in terms of vaccines uh, rollout and, and obviously the numbers coming down. OK, have a drink, but have it virtually. And I think a lot of people maybe are doing that, and the drinking they're doing is at home, and it's not that much. And and that's not the problem. But there are issues, aren't there? When we see the weekly Garda fines being issued or we see the house parties that are taking place or those images of the she-beans, something more needs to be done in terms of enforcement, you could argue. Yeah, it's a difficult one for the guards. I think the first point is, is well made. Prohibition doesn't work. Um, people will find uh, ingenious ways to get access to alcohol if you banned it in its entirety. So that's, that's a, that's a no-go area for, for, from my perspective. What about curbing think, alcohol sales, limiting uh, well, hours? So, I, don't, I don't think that works either, because even if you open for two hours, you're just going to have queues outside the off-licence. I think that, you know, I mean... Would the, it send the off a message, though? Well, well, off-licence aren't open late at night. 
they don't open and that, and that was as a result of previous issues they don't open on a Sunday morning so I think people will get their alcohol what, what we want to do is appeal to people that you know on the basis that we're nearly there the vaccine is rolling out we'd like to have it a little bit more quickly but it's working we're saving lives there's a real opportunity now to, to you know to control the spread of the virus we need to hold on through St. Patrick's Day so that we can have a meaningful summer uh, and that if we can hold, uh, ho you know, effectively hold the takeaway points issue? Because we heard Micheál Martin yeah. saying, forget about the takeaway points. There was a furore about it because people were drinking out in the streets and people who haven't seen their loved yeah. ones at all were... were and there were, were some incidents and it's really wrong. really unhappy and really frustrated yeah, at these scenes, but nothing was done. Oh, it was. And I think the Gardaí were involved and the Gardaí have been enforcing that. But look, people will take hands from a, a, an off-licence and they'll go by the canal or they'll go by the river or they'll congregate, they're being asked not to do that. And I have to say, the guards are responding where they identify uh, house parties and street parties. Okay. Uh, what we really need to appeal to people now is on the basis, if you just hold on okay. and stay, stay the course, we'll an be there and we'll have a decent to, summer. An appeal to people, Liam, is this enough? Oh, well, look, we've been appealing to people and the vast majority of people are absolutely compliant. But that isn't the issue. The issue of transmission is fuelled by the minority who are not compliant. And with respect to Timmy and the government and so on, suggesting that the okay. Gardaí can wave their hands and solve everything when they're not empowered to do that. Okay. Curb alcohol sales, limit the well, individual purchase of sales. We'll that to, will be a step. We'll have to leave it there. Liam, my thanks to all my guests tonight, Timmy Dooley, Liam Doran and Patricia Callan. Kira Doherty will be back here on The Tonight Show tomorrow night. For now, stay home, stay safe. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.